Hey folks, welcome to the House of Crafts. We have some big names coming by, some big stars, huge, big, shining lights. That's why there's all the extra security out front. So skirt past them, come on in, curl up on the couch and, and listen to my interviews with some really interesting people. A little bit later on, I'm gonna talk with Jim Carrey. Now, this interview isn't Jim Carrey today. This isn't Jim Carrey superstar. This is Jim Carrey in 1982. We're renovating the east wing of the House of Kraus. And I was going through some old boxes and I found this tape and I, I thought it was a really interesting look at someone who was just on the cusp someone who was still playing in nightclubs, someone who was working with Rodney Dangerfield, someone who by all standards had already kind of made it. I think probably he was about as famous as maybe he thought he was ever going to be. Well, he took a few quantum leaps forward after we did this interview, but I think it's a really interesting look at Jim Carrey just before he became a giant movie star. Also, Greta Gerwig, Greta Gerwig's one of my favorites. If you want to check out probably uh, the funniest movie, maybe second funniest movie, Trainwreck still holds that title, check out Mistress America. It's the new film directed by Noah Baumbach. Greta Gerwig stars in and co-wrote the film. And it's a, a terrific story about New Yorkers and and well, I guess that's all of Noah Baumbach's films, so that doesn't really tell you too much, but it's a really fascinating character study that will make you laugh. And if you're not already on the Greta Gerwig bandwagon, you should be. This interview is from about two years ago, I think. Uh, we were talking about another film that Greta had made, but I thought that the, the conversation was sort of general enough that it shines a light on her process. Also, Ben Kingsley. He's first up. Ben Kingsley, uh, one of the most famous actors going. He's an Academy Award winner. He's one of the most recognizable faces on screen today. In his new film, he co-stars with Patricia Clarkson. She plays a divorcee who hires him, he's a, a cab driver, to teach her how to drive so she can travel to upstate New York to visit her daughter. As she learns to navigate Manhattan's mean streets, the two form a bond and they teach one another about love and life and all that good stuff. I talked with Ben Kingsley and we started the conversation by talking about an encounter that I just happened to witness. I saw an interaction between Ben Kingsley and a fan who approached him on the street and she was beyond excited. She was, it was as if she had just seen the Beatles or Elvis or some other giant star. Of course, well, it's Ben Kingsley, he's a big star, but his reaction uh, was sweet in person and then I thought quite insightful when we talked about it. The important thing for me is to tell the story. I am, I'm sure I'm a storyteller. Um, I'm sure that's the right place for my DNA to be. Right. And uh, if it means that she's heard the story and it touched her, then I'm delighted. Right. Right. Um, there, there, there's, a, there's a story something happened to me and it stayed with me forever and it was a beautiful thing that happened I had the privilege of playing Hamlet which um, Michael Attenborough saw and then told his dad 
Dad, if you ever get the money, I've seen the guy who should play Gandhi. So I was playing Hamlet for the Royal Shakespeare Company. And I was walking. Um, he was always in my head. It's a very all-consuming role. I was walking across Snitterfield, where he himself used to walk. It's an open field uh, just outside of Stratford-upon-Avon, which you may know. You may know the town. Beautiful town. And a lovely young woman was at the opposite side of the field, seemed to be walking towards me. So I decided to tack to my right, right to avoid her feeling that I was intruding on her space. She tacked to her left. In other words, she mirrored me. And then I went the other way, and she mirrored me. So she was determined to meet me in the middle of this field. And face, I can see, still see her face, face to face. She said, I saw Hamlet last night. How did you know about me? That's interesting. It's never left me. Yeah. So I, something must have gone right in there, right. through the sternum, and said, I know. Yeah. Well, that is the connection. That's that, the connection. That's the connection that, when it works, that the audience makes or the, the actors make with the audience. And that's why I think that young woman yesterday was beyond herself. Mm. It was so interesting to see. I love seeing it. And if it means that through storytelling, something has been shifted, healed, touched in her, great. You take on a variety of roles. Uh, the new one, Darwin, is just a, 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 another uh, flower in the bouquet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me what it was that brought him in. I, I loved this movie because I thought that it was uh, a cross-cultural study, that it was uh, a story of a great friendship, that it was a story um, um, a, 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 about a lot of things. And I love that it's sweet. I love that there's a real sweetness to it. Uh, what was it for you? I think in a really beautifully fashioned play or screenplay, you have a feeling that the gods look down and say, I'm going to bring you two together. I love that um, idea in mythology that the gods look down and send somebody to somebody. And it is only through very unfortunate, heartbreaking circumstances in, in, that, that she finds herself in a taxi. Mm -hmm. Heartbroken. I am driving a heart, heartbroken woman. Um, and uh, a business card appears. And, mm -hmm. and then something else appears. And then I'm at the doorstep. And a letter is left in the back of a cab. And, We've got the same shoes on. Let's look at that. <laughs> and and uh, I love the, the way, as in all great stories, the little coincidences are, are the gods guiding, bringing people together for some purpose. And here it's not for a great romance. It's to heal. It's to open doors. Here is a warrior who ultimately confesses to his newfound pupil, I don't know how to talk to women. You're good with words. Tell me how to talk. 
what shall I buy her, what shall I... Wonderful. That he, in his wonderful Sikh bubble of masculinity, is able to say to, 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 a, to an American woman, help. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that the audience connects with mm. in this thing, is the, the, real, the real relationship, the human, the primal relationship between them, I think. And part of that primal relationship, I love that phrase that you've used, is her eventual ability to say, you're a decent man, mm-hmm. you're a good man. Yeah. Having probably vomited out the whole male sex in rage. Yeah. And, then, and then the gods have said, well, actually, they're not all like that. Right. Of all the people in the world she should then meet in her crisis, it's Darvan. The, the right man. The, the right man. The right man. The right man. Yeah. When you started that story, I thought you were going to, when you were saying with the gods, sending it, I thought you were going to say actor to part. Mm. <laughs> because I, maybe it's not quite as spiritual as Maybe that, it's you know? not. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know where they are. I don't know whether they're inside me waiting right. to come out or whether they're outside of me, whether they're, they're, are they hunting me? Am I hunting them? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I love to be surprised by a script. Yeah. And I was um, uh, very pleased and, and, and delighted by the opportunity to play what Patricia's character coins as a good man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a lot. I, I looked before I saw the movie yesterday. I Googled it. I Googled you in the movie. And there were lots of pictures of taken during the, uh, I guess, paparazzi photos of oh, yeah. wearing the turban and lots of, lots of comments. Um, you know, he's trying something new. He's doing something, you know. So, and, and I thought, he's an actor. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know, this is yes. what you do. You inhabit someone for six or eight weeks or however long it takes yeah. to make a movie. And, yeah. and, and you hope people like it and you move along. But it was interesting to read It is comments. a phrase I've also uh, come across um, in situations like this where I have to deal with somebody saying, so this is a departure for you. Right. I think, Departure from what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you know, from uh, Gandhi I, to the whackness to... Sexy you know, beast. <laughs> yeah, say, this r- is r- what r- I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Funny. I love the, I, I love the uh, variety of that. I love the idea that you seem so kind of um, joyful in the idea that you get to have this variety in your life. It is joyful. Yeah. It is joyful. Um, and um, I, th- I don't know. As I say, I don't know whether they're all locked up, curled up inside me like a coiled spring, or whether they're outside of me. But I do. It's thrilling to to, to open a script and 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 say to myself, "There you are." Right, right. And yet, seconds before, I had no idea that I might be interested in playing that particular person. Right. And then suddenly, it's yeah, I'm allowed to uh, breathe life into an extraordinary situation, dilemma, passion, responsibility, uh, ethic. Suddenly, I'm allowed to. Like um, Shutter Island, the, the doctor yeah. I was allowed to play, who is one of the men I've played who is absolutely capable of unconditional love, mm-hmm. that he will do anything to save that patient and admit that he's failed. Right. 
and the tragedy of the lobotomy when he has to let go. But, you know, people are actually saying, you were the bad guy in the movie, weren't you? I said, no, actually, I was the good guy. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can't judge the character, though. I never do. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to, to say, well, yes, I'm going to play him as a villain, because I don't think villains really know that they're villains. Occasionally, you might get a guy who goes, yeah, I'm not a very good guy. But I don't think people generally look at themselves and say, I'm a bad person or I'm a, something like well, that. Well, my, my character in, in Sexy Beast, um, very, very clear to me, almost from the first day of shooting and inhabiting that, that body, um, that he was an abused child, mm. definitely an unhealed, unloved, unnurtured, abused child. And, and that his scream from in, within was, I love you, why don't you love me? Right. Uh, and uh, everything fell into place. Once I decided, I'm going to look after you, because you're wounded, and it's my job to look after you. The audience might be horribly shocked by what I do and laugh sometimes, and then sometimes think, "Oh, wow, oh dear, I know that pattern." Right. He's hurt right. yeah, deeply. What do you hope uh, that audiences, when they walk out of learning to drive, what do you, how do you hope they feel, or does it matter to you how they feel because it's such uh, an individual thing? Well, it's a it's a good question, and I don't want to dodge it. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, um, we don't want to imprint anything onto. Right. what they may or may not see. I always hope, whenever I leave a great art gallery, my vision's altered. Right. Whenever I, I remember going to see the Impressionists, and I, I, oh, the light was different when I walked out. Everything was, looked different when I right. walked outside the gallery. Right. And I hope that just for those wonderful few seconds or even minutes, that the world looks different when they leave the cinema. Okay, how cool is that? Ben Kingsley talking about Don Logan in Sexy Beast. I loved every minute of that conversation. Such a good guy. We'll talk to him anytime. Greta Gerwig, someone else I really enjoy watching on screen. She is so natural that I always believe that whatever I'm watching her do on screen, I'm seeing the first time that she ever did it. I'm seeing the first time that she said that line, the first time that she did whatever action it is that makes me laugh or cry or whatever it is that I react to. But I always believe, and she makes me feel, like I'm watching things for the first time. And in fact, that's not exactly the case. It's a bit more studied than that. We talked about that. The movie she has out is called Mistress America. It's the new Noah Baumbach farce. It is a small gem. It's a movie that I think is so lovingly crafted that I'm tempted to pull out the film critic's big book of superlatives to adequately find words to describe it. Rest assured, it's the second funniest movie of the summer. I, I gotta give props to Trainwreck still. But it's uh, an insightfully crafted, beautiful look at New Yorkers in their 20s and their 30s just trying to find their way through life. The conversation you're about to hear dates back to the release of the movie Francis Ha, but I thought that it, it revealed enough about Greta Gerwig's process that it was worth a re-listen.
as a co-writer, yeah. that's one thing. But you, then you have to embody her for however long it takes to shoot. And then, you know, yeah. so you, I feel like maybe you're a little closer to it. Well, I mean, I definitely it's amazing to have the movie be released and have people like it as much as they the do. Reviews, and so go I'll to say it. the reviews have been great. It's doing really well in the U.S. where it's been out for a few weeks now. Yeah, it's been amazing. But it's also there's an inherent sadness because it feels like in some ways it's. I mean, it'll live on, but it feels like, you know, Francis belongs to other people now in a way. And right. it, it's kind of like this victory lap of of who she is. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think with any of the characters that I've played that I've loved, it's always really, really hard to let them go. But that being said, I think, I mean, I. Uh, while we were talking about, you know, the before midnight, before sunrise. Yeah, before, while but, the microphones were off, uh, well, I was saying in 10 years yeah. you should revisit Francis. And then in 10 right. years after that, because you were 27, the same age as the character. Yeah. So we can grow up with yeah. you on screen. Well, I think I think what's interesting, I mean, what I love about films is 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 there's a kind of inherent melancholy to them of this that when they're done, they're done and there is no more film. Like, that's all the life you get of these people. And I think that there's something I've always loved about that, but I it it drove me to re-watch every film I loved. It's almost like you're looking for there to be more than there is of right. that life. And I was always kind of... I, when, when DVDs started happening and they'd put out, like, deleted scenes, I in theory loved them but in reality hated them because it was like wait you didn't tell me there was this li like it, it sort of felt like a cheat or something right. like i don't know i was so committed to this being the only thing that there was and i don't know i i, I sort of i think there's this sense of like even when you start a film you know it will end and there's no more of it i think that feeling is I don't know. I love it. It's like why I love theater too. It's got that feeling of like that's going to be all there is of that play, mm -hmm. or all. And I mean, I would love to revisit Frances because selfishly I loved playing her. But I also know that even if I revisited her, it would have a terminus. It wouldn't right. be infinite. So tell me a little bit about uh, about finding her, about finding Frances as you were writing the script. Well, I think I mean we really. Um, I, we did find her in the writing. It, it's I, we work very much like the writing tells us who the people are and what the story is, as opposed to us discussing who they are and us discussing what the story is and then imposing it. Right. So it it kind of emerged from these these moments that we were exploring and these scenes, and I think we when we locked into her. It was almost like we locked into her speech patterns and then we expanded that. It was like, it was like we found how she was funny and how she was cocky and and how she was sad and I think it, it just she it, we almost avoided talking about it too much I think because it I think looking back we never said it but it was almost like you don't when things are good you don't want to spirit it away you want to you're like something's working about this and um and then I mean it was a different process to find her as an actor it was like Noah was saying it was more physical but I think as a, a writing it just kind of came out because she didn't strike me maybe as being the most introspective of characters, although she she gets it. Like at, at one point when she goes to Paris on a credit card that yeah. arrived in the mail and she's like, well, I know I'm going to be paying for this forever, whatever the line is, uh, she understands the, the, that there are consequences to the actions that she takes. Right. She just kind of doesn't care sometimes. 
I think, yeah, I mean, I think at that moment she's particularly heartbroken, and I think that she's um, willing to do something foolish mm-hmm. because she feels like she has to do something big. Um, but, yeah, I think she's, you know, I think I think um, I'm, we've talked... Oh, 27 was the age I was while we were making it, so in some ways we were tied to me being 27. (laughs) But it was also, part of it was also, um, I think 27 is a really, it's a really watershed age. I think things really change, and I think one of the qualities that I I think comes up around 27 is, you know, up all the way through college, you're sort of on a track and you're so time is passing on a track in a way. And then if you go to graduate school, there's more tracks. And like Francis didn't find a new track Mm -hmm. like she and Sophie found a new track to be on. And Francis, I think there's this this feeling when you're young that um, like things are happening to you. You're not making choices. And I think around 27, you're like, oh, my God, I've been making choices I just didn't know they were choices. And I think Francis is kind of owning that for the first time. Like this is things aren't just unfolding. I'm making them unfold. How do you make it feel so natural when you've done the same thing 45 or six or seven times in a row? Well, um, I'm I'm very it's it's a, it's always flattering when people say, oh, it looks just so mm-hmm. spontaneous and like it just happened. But I think I mean, it's a multi part process. And I think it starts when we wrote the script together which is we spend a long time trying to make it sound both lifelike but but better than life but it's so the writing process takes care of a lot of the the feeling of the film I think because we really stick to the script but then it's the way I mean it's it's the way Noah directs Uh, he as when you're acting for him he you do it so many times, but it, it doesn't, it it allows you to find all these different layers so that by the time that you get to the end of all of the takes, you have this performance that feels like multidimensional and like you can almost touch it because it feels so, because life is never just one color. It's always a, a lot of colors and it takes time to work that into a performance and the way he directs Mickey and I and everyone, it's guiding us in these very minute ways so that we feel free, but also that we're giving all these different variations. That was Greta Gerwig, and I think we can all agree that she is rather fantastic. If you don't agree with me, well, maybe it's time to hand in your House of Krauss Hall Pass. I don't know. I'm going to give that some thought. Next up is Jim Carrey. Now, this interview came from a box I found in the east wing of the House of Krauss when we were doing some renovations, tearing things down. We found a a couple of old cartons of things, and one of them was an interview from 1982. Jim Carrey was around 19 or 20 years old. He was already a successful stand-up comic in Canada. He was making inroads to working in the United States. He had a place down there already, as you'll hear in this interview. He just made a movie called Introducing Janet, and I was a fetus. I was a young reporter trying to make my way through doing interviews with actors and stand-ups and all sorts of people. And some of the sound quality isn't so great in this. So I have cut out and edited things together to make it a little bit more listenable. 
Uh, but I think you'll see what I mean when I say that I sound very young. So does Jim Carrey, but at least he sounds like an adult. Anyway, Jim and I start by talking about what made him choose a career in stand-up comedy. I guess that's the obvious question when you're just a kid and you don't really know what you're doing and you're talking to a stand-up comic. That's as good an opener as any. Just because the, the pay is tremendous. And uh, <laughs> no, just because uh, I've always wanted to do it. I mean, even when I was little, I wanted to be a clown, you know. But, uh, I guess when I got older, I decided, well, uh, grease bits kind of out, you know. I think I'll uh, ruin the stand-up comedy. You know? I just always, always wanted to do it. I never thought of doing anything else, really. Never put myself in any other direction. I think I wanted to be a veterinarian for about a week. Then I learned I had to put dogs to sleep, so I thought, well, I'll be a comedian. <laughs> Next up, I asked him when he discovered he had a talent for mimicking people. Uh, I was about eight years old. I did John Wayne. I did, uh, mm, I guess probably Paul Lynn was the second one. <laughs> mm, yeah, I was about eight years old, and I got John Wayne, and I ran out of the bedroom. I was looking in the mirror and fooling around and that, and I went, well, the or something like that, and I went, I screamed out of my room. Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, look, look, look what I can do. Well, well, crap. Really high, John. It's just sort of stemmed from there. I just started doing it, just fooling around with it. Just that. Yeah, sure. Then I asked him if it was then that he decided to make a career of being a comic when he was just eight years old. I never really thought of careers when I was eight years old. I just thought of, uh, I just thought of, uh, I didn't even know that you did things for pay back then. I mean, I just thought, well, you just do it. You get up there in front of the TV and just do it, you know, and just, you don't prepare or anything. It just comes out that way, you know, and people laugh and stuff. Uh, I never thought of it seriously, really. I just knew that that's what I, what I like doing. Then I asked him, do you remember the first show in front of people? Yeah, yeah, I think it wasn't, a, it wasn't really a show, it was just a bit that I did for a Christmas assembly when I was in uh, school. I, uh, I used to go to Blessed Trinity School down on Bayview and uh, Finch, I think it is, and uh, when I was living in Willowdale when I was a kid. And, uh, and I once got up there and on the stage uh, during a Christmas assembly and did Santa Claus in the class saying, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus thing. Like this. And I did this uh, Three Stooges sort of dance, like <laughs> backwards and clicking my heels and stuff like this. And the nuns were all laughing and rolling off and And, uh, and uh, I remember at the end of that, when that was over, First of all, how she, how the teacher found out I could do that was I was fooling around in class, mimicking a record that she had on in music class, and uh, she said, "Well, Jim, if you want to do that sort of stuff, you get up and do it in front of the whole class." So I did. I got up and started <laughs> danced around and went on, and uh, and she asked me to do it in the Christmas assembly. Anyway, at the end of the assembly, she said, she said, uh, or the sister, sister Mary John was her name. She got up uh, and said, well, children, did you know that Jim wants to be a comedian when he grows up? Do you think he can do it? And everyone, yeah! 
like that and I was in grade three then. <laughs> I went, okay, this is it. This is my lot in life. <laughs> at this point, I mentioned that he had started at Yuck Yucks. Well, I did a few gigs on my own first. Played the Hayloft in Scarborough on Highway 48. <laughs> I think was, that was the first gig I ever did for the money. Yeah, that was the first gig I ever did for money. And uh, I felt so big too when me and my dad drove in, you know, in the Volkswagen camper and uh, drove past the, the uh, ticket booth and said, we're the entertainment. <laughs> you know, it was, like, it was great. But uh, I think I got 20 bucks for it. What was the question? <laughs> you were just talking about how you started performing professionally again then after the, the Halo. Yeah, uh, I got at the Yuck, I went down to Yuck Yuck, started working out, and got asked back there, and uh, kept uh, kept building an act from there, and just, uh, just went. I used to drive down from Jackson's Point, where I lived, <clears throat> when I started going there. I used to drive down every second night for free, <laughs> there and back every night or every night or every second night to uh, to just work on my stuff, you know. Tremendous loss. Can't even write it off. <laughs> At this point, I asked him how he learns to mimic the people he impersonates. I, I generally take tapes, tapes of the people, records of the people, or if I can get a chance to do a video of the person or that, or see a video of the person, then I do that. I just study them. I, I sit down study the voice pattern and that the rhythm and that it's like singing a song a lot of times it's it's you have to sort of just sing the song the, the way they do like the jimmy stewart would say a line like that you know like that so it's it's a rhythm it's like <laughs> it's like that you go like that and then you go to the to the different words and that and how they would say them and that the inflections and that the tone who's your favorite Oh God, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> How long does it take you to, to learn different people? I suppose it varies from person to person. But. Um, it all depends, yeah. It all depends. Like Sinatra took me, God, two and a half, three years to do. So I studied him like I would get sick of doing him, so I'd put him away for a while, put him on the shelf and get away. And... Uh, and then I'd go back after him a couple of months later when I got the urge and then get frustrated again, scratch the record, blah, 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 blah. he's no good, he'll never make it. <laughs> Here I talked to Jim about acting in movies. He had just made a movie called Introducing Janet. It was about a heavyset girl who had a knack for making other children in school laugh by making fun of her own weight. Uh, in seeing the other kids' reactions, she feels she might have what it takes to become a comedian. So she visits a comedy club where she meets Tony Maroney, played by Jim Carrey, in some inspired casting. He's playing a stand-up comedian. He's struggling, though, and his jokes are less funny than her jokes. So, according to IMDb, together, Tony helps Janet find self-esteem, and Janet helps Tony with his material. I asked Jim if acting in movies was something that he would like to pursue. Sure, I, I wouldn't mind that. I, I, I uh, you know, I always want to be a stage performer. That's that's where I get my kicks is right on, you know, right live on stage. Oh yeah, that's the best feeling in the world. You know, but uh, movies are all right. Movies are fun. 
the only thing about movies is there's a lot of waiting around when you're making them. You know, it's just ooh, you know, that gets boring because I have to you know be going all the time. You know, just go 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 go. You know, so so I get the uh, I get to really you know waiting around just to get so anxious to get in there and do it. You know, but uh, but they're great when you see the finished product. So you're taking acting lessons in Los Angeles now? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got a man from his name is Vincent Chase. He's, he uh, trained uh, Magnum P.I., Tom Selleck, and uh, all the people from Saturday Night, or not Saturday Night Night, from Happy Days, the, that whole crew, and uh, just all kinds of people. He's really, real good. So uh, you're living in Los Angeles now. Why did you move? Uh, well, I'm not exactly living in Los Angeles. I've got a place down there where I live in both places, really. I've still got a place up here. And, uh, and I go back and forth wherever I'm working, you know, wherever there's a, something to be done, I do. I just go. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not exactly moved there yet. I might eventually, but uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It depends on uh, what, you know, where it comes. I mean, the, for all I know, some some something could pop up here that's uh, that's uh, you know that could be sold to the states. I wouldn't have to move, you know. Exactly. But uh, you never know what's going to happen that way. So how did you uh, manage to start working with Rodney Dangerfield? Yeah, I, uh, gee, how did I do the first one? Do you remember how we uh, how we sort of got? Well, I I played his club. I, I showcased at his club one time to 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 grab a headline spot there. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I was doing that just as I was about to go on. The, one of the guys, big Bobby, <laughs> his name is Bobby, and he's a scary individual, let me tell you. <laughs> it's one of these places that, you know, like it's a show. What? A fourth show? Hour? Sure. Okay. Five people come in? Yeah, okay, boss. <laughs> it's just one of them. <laughs> but uh, Bobby come up to me and he said, uh, Real lucky tonight. Uh, Rodney's gonna uh, gonna see his show. And then I looked over and I saw Rodney standing there. And I went, "Wow, alrighty, here we go." Just sweating. You're just standing there sweating like he always does. <laughs> and uh, so so I I did the show and he really liked it. And, that, and uh, we uh, he was doing a show in Winnipeg. He was doing a show in Winnipeg and he. Uh, and uh, I sort of just got, uh, I got, I got a request to go and do that, so I did that. And ever since then, he's been requesting me every time he comes to Canada. Anyway, he uh, requests me to open the show, so that's real nice. So what's he like? Oh, it's great. Have a good time. Yeah, yeah, it's neat, neat. It's it's really neat to be uh, associated with him because it's uh, just working on the, on the same sort of level. It's. Uh, it's a thrill because because of the fact that you know I remember back when I used to watch the Ed Sullivan show and see Rodney Dangerfield on there and and I didn't even understand the jokes but I just laughed because the audience was laughing you know. Well, but, he's uh, he's been around for so long. Yeah, he was. He's been around for sure twenty years. Used to hang out with Lenny Bruce, Bruce and people yeah. like that. You know, yeah. so he's, he's been around for sure. Do you think that you've uh, that where you're twenty? And are you're just beginning to, to get more? You know, your your career is picking up so quickly. Do you think that you're ready for it right now? Do you think that? Oh yeah. Well, you see, uh, I take things in stride. I'm not 
in a rush to go anywhere. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, I, I want to be satisfied with myself before I mean, it, everybody in the world can be satisfied in me, but if I'm not satisfied in myself to do the next step, then I won't, you know, I just won't do it. I mean, I just, you know, because I have to have, like, I want to amaze myself before, before I uh, do anything drastic. So you're pleased with the way things are going? Oh, yeah. Good. So you're pleased with the way things are going. That's the innocence of youth speaking. That's Jim Carrey and me talking, 1982, talking about his career, the next steps in his career. Funny, there was no talk of Ace Ventura. There was no talk of Liar Liar. Just, I think, some genuine conversation from someone who was just at the very beginning of their career and was about to take a mighty step forward. Anyway. Enough about Jim Carrey, enough about Greta Gerwig, enough about Ben Kingsley. They're all great, they're all amazing, but that's it. The House of Krauss is closed. We have to wrap it up, but be sure to drop by next week because you never know who's gonna stop by every Monday when we put up a new episode. You never know who's gonna stop by for a visit. 